0: Normally, on a Sunday morning, I have five or sometimes six pages of notes, okay? Today, we have eight. (laughs) The goal is not going to be to go through them the way we normally would. Don't panic. I have places to be today, okay? (laughs) We won't be here the rest of the day. Some of it is review, but it is time for Paul to really ratchet up the exposition, so... Always remember that as we read these letters, you have to read them in light of everything that has come before, and, well, let's summarize, like, the last six weeks. Because Christians are united in Christ, because Christ is the goal of our living, because Christ is God, because Christ has redeemed, because we are now the people of God, we labor for the kingdom. There you go. There's Colossians 1, 1 through 2, 6. (laughs) (laughs) and I know you, well, why don't we just do that on a Sunday morning? Because you would not believe me. I have to prove it to you. You know this. Now, you need that little bit of a rundown, because who wants to guess what the first word we're going to say today is when it comes to reading the section? Starts with a therefore. So we have to make sure that we're building upon what has come before. Paul, based on the History of God's working, based on what God has accomplished, is going to then begin to explain the person of Christ. And that's the stuff we want to try to spend the most time on today. So the beginning recap stuff we're going to try to get through quickly. So I will be talking fast and flipping pages in a hurry. So do not panic. It will slow down as we get into it. Does that make sense? All right. With that said, you ready to dive in? All right. Verse 6. Therefore, that's all the stuff we just recapped, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. In other words, in light of who Christ is, and what he has done, how now should you live in the world? This is not a unique concept to the Colossian church. Ephesians chapter 5. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Always remember this. Always, 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 always. We always keep our math equations in line. You live the way that you live in the world because of who you are in Christ, not so that you will be something new in Christ. But because the Holy Spirit has changed you, because Christ's work has been applied to your account, you are now different and you live differently. And by the way, this is not something that Paul has just, you know, pulled out of his ears and come up with at the drop of a hat. This is the standard that Jesus gave, Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? It seems like such a basic question, doesn't it? Why do you claim to follow Jesus, but your life looks nothing like what Jesus said your life should look like? This is that argument from a few years ago. There was a whole series of videos on them, and this is a bad argument, but I'm going to remind you of it anyway. Why I love Jesus but hate going to church, or why I love Jesus but hate the church, terrible argument. I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. You know what that person needs right now? Religion! Religion! You have been saved into a religion. There are actual commands. There are actual precepts and regulations that Christ has laid down for how you should live. Okay, coming around. The only reason you can follow them is because of who you are in Christ. How you have been transformed by the work of the Spirit. To be empowered to look at the darkness and say, oh, look, darkness! I don't want to live there. I would like to walk in the light. Therefore, I'm going to avoid these things, as Ephesians 5.11 tells you. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. This is why I joke with you and say, when you have someone in a church that says something heretical, what do you do? Throw things and run screaming from the room. When you see sin on the side of the highway as you are traveling to God's kingdom, do you don't go, shh. Don't wake it up, just walk around, it'll be fine. You do what? Sin, hey, guys, guys, look, look, avoid this. I mean, don't you want the DOT to mark the big pothole that kills your car? You know, the one that every time you hit it, you have to like rub that spot in the dashboard and apologize? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. I'm not mad at you, mean it. Don't you want everybody, wouldn't you want someone in front of you to like, to, yeah, yeah, to warn me that there's something coming. That's what it means by exposing the darkness. For your benefit and for the benefit of the other people who are around you. And once again, not new. This is the work that the Holy Spirit does. John 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice." this is what your Christian living is supposed to look like. You're supposed to see the works of Christ. You're supposed to hear the commands of Christ and go, "Ooh, yes, that's what I want. You're supposed to hear the whisperings of the world and the challenges of, did God really say and go, no, 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 that's an imposter. That's not the thing we wish to be following. And this is what is accomplished day by day. Now, I tell you all of that. See, I told you we're going to go pretty quick because that connects us with the second half of this sentence because you see how this ends? That is not a period. It is a comma. So based on that, we can go to verse 7. Having been firmly rooted and being built up in him and established in your faith. Christian, for the first time in your life, you want to be grounded. You were a kid and you're like, you're grounded. No. In Christ, you want to be grounded. You wish to be anchored. You wish to be on solid footing against the world. Once again, things like Ephesians 4. I say this and affirm together with the Lord, with the Lord, that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him, have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. In other words, because of the changing work that God has done in you, look at where you were. Look at where you are and then do what? Ask yourself, where do you want to be now? (laughs) You have eyes to see. You have ears to hear. This is what Paul told the Romans to be transformed by what? The renewing of their mind. Why does Paul, why is that Romans 12? Remember your rules for letters. When you get to chapter 12, you have to read chapter 12 in light of what? everything that has come before. What's everything that's come before in the book of Romans? What the problem with the world is, who that encompasses, not just some of the people, but all of the people. What the cure is, how does salvation function? What are the fruits of salvation? What does it mean to you? How does it affect your life? What does it look like in real time, despite the fact that the world hates you? That's a really quick rundown of basically Romans one through eight. The demonstrability of grace, the power of the Holy Spirit in the proclamation of his gospel and how this relates to the people who were the people of God and the people who are the people of God. There's 9, 10, and 11. Based on all of that information, who you are in Christ, how you have been redeemed, the fruits of the Spirit being evident in your lives, now go, yamuel, and live according to Christ. This is consistent in Paul's teachings. He's taught it to the Romans. He's taught it to the Ephesians. He's teaching it to the Colossians. Why? Because this is what Jesus looked at the world and said, this is why we never use the Sermon on the Mount as a gospel presentation. It's a, it's, a, it's a beating for the people in the crowd. You think you have righteousness. You think you can accomplish this. <laughs> Let's talk about righteousness. Unless it's better than the Pharisees, you got no hope. Unless you are perfect. Unless you are righteous. Unless you are humble. Unless you are meek and mild in the world, you've got no hope. And everybody listening should have said what to Jesus at the end of that sermon. I need help. <laughs> we, got, we got nothing here. That's what that should have been. I want to pray like that. I don't pray like that. I want to have no worry like the end of chapter 6, but I have worry. I want to live evaluating the world rightly like chapter 7. I want to treat others the way that God has not treated me. I want to be good in this world. I want to have all these things, but I... <laughs> As Paul says, I know what's in me, and the thing that I want to do is the thing that I don't do, and the thing that I don't want to do is the thing that I do. Therefore, I need help. I need Christ. I need God. I need some sort of transformation. Again, Paul doesn't pull this out of thin air. He is building upon who Christ is, what he has done, and what that means for you in this world. Never, ever rest in your power. You have none. When you rest in your power, you are resting in a lie. Live not according to lies, but be guided by the truth. So, you are firmly rooted, being built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed. See, this is what we seek, because what is the teaching? This is, again, why you should be evaluating all of these things, because what did Paul tell the Galatians? If I, or an angel from heaven, brings you another teaching, what do you do? throw things and run screaming from the room. That's what it should have been in Galatians, but that's why I'm not the Holy Spirit to write these things. Let them be cursed. Send them to hell. See, that's why you need a bigger Bible, right? You, when they bring you the false teaching, you pull out the big one and go, Ugh! <laughs> sorry, I haven't used that in a while. I need to be reminded that it's in there, <laughs> just in case you forgot. <laughs> it's not quick draw, you know? <laughs> This is the warning, this is the consistent message of Scripture, is that you rest upon God and you rest upon the teachings of His Word. Because if you are trying to find truth, salvation, and wisdom for the world anywhere else, you are seeking after lies and you are living a life that is built upon... Something that will not last. I'm out of good metaphors, so come up with your own. This is again what Peter told the church. Putting aside malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Again, this is what we talked about last week. How do you know who God is? How do you know what Christ is doing? How do you know how insidious sin is? How do you know what the cure for sin is? They put it in a book. They wrote this down so that you would have an objective place to find the truth so that you would be able to build a life in Christ, guided by the Holy Spirit, honoring to the work of the Father, persevering towards the final kingdom. So, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. Yay, we got to the gratitude verse in the month of Thanksgiving. Go us, right? (laughs) If only I cared enough about details to plan something like that. But that's important. You ever met someone who is worldly in their thinking, who is grateful for anything? I'm serious about that. Doesn't work, does it? That's what I always like about—this is—okay, weird little aside. We have a little bit of time. So one of the weird things about the world that oftentimes the people that have the most are thankful for the least, and the people that have the least are thankful for the most— because they see the world rightly, because they've been kicked by it enough times. Christian, you you don't need to be beaten for that. You need to understand who God is and what he has accomplished. This is part of the work of the Spirit. As you are following in the instruction, you are overflowing with gratitude because you recognize what? As we read for communion this morning, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His loving kindness is everlasting. When you examine the heavens, you should be reminded of what? that his loving kindness is everlasting. When you see the work, when you, when you look out on the ocean and you see the power and the uncontrollability of it, you should be reminded that his loving kindness is everlasting. When you read about, go, and by the way, go read the rest of, of that psalm. Psalm 136. Go read the rest of that. When you see the judgment on the Egyptians, you should be reminded that his loving kindness is everlasting. When you see natural disasters befall the world, you should be reminded that his loving kindness is everlasting. When you are sick or when you are unwell or when you have lost loved ones, you should be reminded that his loving kindness is everlasting. Everything in the world should be examined through light of who God is and what he has done for his people. That is how you are overflowing with gratitude. Because you recognize that every breath, every moment, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, and it is meant for your good and for His glory. And you are overflowing with gratitude, not because the situation has changed, but because you have changed. This is part of the life. This is what Paul's telling you. Philippians chapter 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, Rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Remember, it's that letter where he tells you what? When I have abundance, I can get along. When I have nothing, I can get along. Why? Because I get along in Christ. Not trusting, into the, not trusting in the world for provision, not trusting in the world for anything, but trusting in God and in God alone. So, <clears throat> here's your warning. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. In your walking, as you are being renewed, as you are being sanctified, you are walking and living with your eyes wide open. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Timothy. Guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding worldly and empty chatter, the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and thus gone astray from the faith. How do you do that? How do you avoid the supposed knowledge of the world, the empty chatter, the useless arguments of this place? 2 Timothy chapter 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. You be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Wait, you mean Paul warned Timothy that there was coming a day when people would look at you and go, nope, nope, I can't hear you, no, 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 that they would listen to you and go, that's just ridiculous, we know that's not true. How do you know that's not true? Because it isn't. But how do you know that it isn't? Because that guy said so. Well, what makes him right? He's that guy. (laughs) You've not seen this in any avenues of your life the last couple of years, right? You've not seen this at all in anything. (laughs) Why is it that the more information that we get, the wiser we are supposed to become, it seems like the dumber we get as a society? The answer is because sin corrupts everything. And most people, when their foolish hearts are darkened and when they are walking following blind guides. When you present to them the information of this world and you present to them the wisdom of from on high, they look at you and say, I don't want to hear it. What does humanity by default want? What do we do in the church so often? At the end of the day, give me my list. I want my list. You give me my list. I check off number one. I check off number two. And when I get to the bottom, I'm done. Welcome to the world. Tell me what's right, tell me what's wrong, tell me who to trust, tell me who not to trust, and then let me live my life according to this checklist. Christianity says, no. Christianity just flat out says, no, you don't get a list. This is why you have wisdom in the Old Testament. Just think about this for a second. The wisdom and brilliance of God, that you read a history book about people that have been gone for almost 2,000 years, and you glean understandings and ways to live in the world now. They don't have cars, they don't have cell phones, they don't have internet, they don't have presidents, they don't have senators, they have a completely different system of government, a different currency, a different language, and you you can read that and understand the world in which you live and understand how God wants you to live in light of it. I can't write that story. This is why your Bible doesn't give you lists. Think about how big your Bible would be if you had to have a checklist for everything you encountered in the world. Like, Like, what do I do when my kid's addicted to a cell phone? I don't know. Turn over to third. You know what? In, I mean, we would be like the we'd have like the church Bible up on stage. You know, be like three dudes to go start flipping pages. You know, climb up with the magnifying glass because in order to fit everything on there, the, the font would have to be this small. And be like, um, okay, here it is. Here it is. Uh, it's written in third hesitations. When your kid is addicted to a cell phone, you smack him. Okay, no, no, that's not it. <laughs> you thought it. Say I'm not so bad. I I, you think it. I just say it out loud. (laughs) You're not given that. Instead, you're given what? You're given principles on how to live, not to be a slave to anything but righteousness. That goes for your cell phone. That goes for food. That goes for driving. That goes for anything. You're not to be a slave to anything in the world because your heart has already been purchased by Christ. You don't belong to you. It's not your heart to give away to enslavement. It belongs to Christ. He. He paid for it. (laughs) He's got the receipt. You're done. You get that principle. Now you live in this world, whether we have gas-powered cars or whether we have electric cars or one day we get the jets and flying cars, you can figure out how now do I live in that world based on who God is and how I live in light of him. That's what you're given. Now, when you get all up into your flesh and you are all trying to figure out how I live according to the sinful place— You feel that and go, that doesn't help me because now I have to think and now I have to evaluate. Can't you just tell me what to do? No, I can give you advice. I can encourage you. But at the end of the day, you know where you have to stand? You have to stand before God. You have to answer the question as Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Why are you living the way that you're living? You will give an account. I'll give an account for my life and for what I taught you. You'll give an account for what you actually did. That's not on me. (laughs) That one's not on me. You have to evaluate and think through the things of this world. And that's good for you. Because as you do that, you grow not just in knowledge, but you grow in wisdom. So that when the thing that you couldn't even possibly contemplate 10 years ago flies into your radar, you go, we can handle this because I do not have anxiety and I do not have worry and I have peace in God because he has given me everything and by the power of his spirit we can encounter and overcome everything that this world would throw at me because I know who he is, I know who I am, and I know why I live the way that I live. This is why these things are so vitally important. So, what are they going to do? What is this philosophy and empty deception? according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. See, that's easy. We just reject that out of hand, don't we? Why can we say that? First John 2, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Why can John be so sure? Why can John look at you and say, you love the world, you do not have God? Because what you're saying is, I am living in the light, but I am craving that darkness over there. John would go, that's just dumb. What's the rule, children? Don't do dumb things! My daughter has that hoodie prepared to ride in the van, by the way. So every time she gets out of the van at a gas station, they're gonna be looking at the don't do dumb things hoodie. Yeah, she, she swiped that because it was perfectly oversized and she, she just it covers her and she's like, this is warm. Like, yeah. My wife steals my clothes and now my daughter steals my clothes. <laughs> I'm doomed. Be glad I'm dressed on a Sunday. <laughs> Now John would look at you and say, if you are living according to the world, if you are at home in the world, you have not God. Because what fellowship does light have with darkness? Why would you be so comfortable wallowing in the muck and the mire when you have been pulled from that and you have been cleansed? It doesn't make any sense. That's why John can say that. Not because he's being mean, but because he understands what the Holy Spirit does. And he understands that the Holy Spirit be looking at you going, No, 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 stop it. Come here. <clears throat> What did I just say? (laughs) Because you've never had that argument with your kids. All that is in the world, back to John, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. See, that's why we don't follow. And by the way, quick aside, I'm not asking you to be perfect. Lord knows I don't get to ask you to be perfect, okay? (laughs) Don't nod, woman. (laughs) Catch my wife in the corner. Mm -hmm. (laughs) See what I got to live with? The respect I command. This is not about you never, ever coming into contact with sin. This is not about you always having victory over every possible evil that may encounter in your life. Always remember that the same John that tells you this in chapter 2 is the same John that told you in chapter 1 of the book that if you say you have no sin, you are a liar and the truth is not in you. Like, John gets that you are struggling and warring in this world. But you are warring in a such a way that you recognize that sin is defeated. It is done it has been cast out that when you have lost this battle it is not because god has forgotten you because you have forgotten god for that too christ died if you confess your sins he is faithful to forgive your sins and picks you up again what i just say no no we're not going to sit here this is where we belong no no no, stop it (laughs) and then we keep moving along the right track this is what the war looks like day in and day out the constant evaluation when you wake up and realize you are sitting in a dark room what do you do you turn on the light christian you have light. You look around in the, round of the dark room and be like, it's dumb sitting here in the darkness. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to not do dumb things and turn on the light. Look at that. Here we go. No more darkness. Go team. That's why I'm forever reminding you, for that too, Christ has died. For that too, you are being carried forward. For that too, you are warring in at battle in this world. Always remember that. So instead of the elementary principles of the world, instead of the traditions of men, we want to walk according to Christ. Hebrews chapter 3. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Now, this is where it gets fun. Because Paul is now going to, uh, rhetorically speaking, put flesh on who Christ is. Why is all of this command possible? And always remember that about your Bible. Anytime you are ever told, this is how you have to live, Christian, and that's all you're ever given, the the whole running and screaming thing should follow, okay? Why do we encourage you to live a holy and sanctified life? Because you have been redeemed of Christ. If you have not been redeemed of Christ, what should I expect from you? I should expect sin. This is, I, I've told you this before, but it, it's always fun to repeat because every once in a while you have those moments that stuff you just remember. And I can still see the look on this woman's face. She was an Awana teacher for fourth and fifth graders. And this church had, um, this church had about 80 people in it on a Sunday morning. And they had a Wednesday night Awana program that had minimum 60 kids. Now, you're doing the math on how many volunteers that would require and they didn't have enough. And so the frustration was always, and part of it was it was um they they were vanning people in, and it was it had become a cattle call of sorts where you just well, you you just drive the van out, and kids would get on the van, and I'm like, well, I don't even have a permission slip for that kid. Who are his parents? You gotta get him home now. Like if something happens where yeah. it was that bad. And so I was talking to her, and she had her and maybe one or two other assistants on a Wednesday night, and they would routinely have 20, 25, fourth and fifth graders. And she's like, the problem we're having is like behavior issues is like these, they, they don't want to sit down. They don't want to do their Bible verses. And then they're trying to spread, uh, split off to work on small groups to memorize their Bible verses and stuff. And it's like, so, so let me get this straight. So you're bringing in a whole bunch of non-church kids, kids that don't grow up in church, don't go to church. And then you're putting them in this environment and you're expecting them to act like the church kids. She goes, yeah we kind of are aren't we i said so you're bringing in the pagans and then you're surprised when they act like pagans and she was like but they're 10 but they're pagan 10 year olds just because they're little and cute doesn't mean they don't sin and it was just i mean the look on her face was like yes 10 year olds sin 11 and 12 year olds sin and if they don't care about the church, I'm worrying. I said, what you want to do is you were, you're trying to figure out how to work with the kids that want to learn the verses, who want to be a part of this, and you can't because you're spending all of your time trying to get that kid to sit down and shut up. She's like, yes. Why is that unusual? That was, the, it was just like, mind blown. Like, pagan kids who don't care about church, don't care about the things of God, don't want to learn their Bible verses, catch this, they don't sit in the classroom and care about the things of God and want to learn their Bible verses. We look at the world so often and we say, why do you live like that? Why do you do that? Why do you celebrate this thing? How can you possibly? Because they don't have the mind of Christ. They don't look at sin the way you look at it in recoil and horror. They look at it and go, everybody does this. Everybody has one of these things, don't you? (laughs) That doesn't exist for them. Now stop, when that is the mindset When does the snowball going down the hill, Bugs Bunny, stop? Yeah, Remember, that you've seen that in the cartoon. Bugs starts a little snowball at the top of the hill about this big, right? And what happens to Yosemite Sam at the bottom? (laughs) He gets splattered, and it's the size of the mountain, right? This is why you look at your world and go, it feels like the darkness is accelerating. It feels like sin is growing. It's because, it is, because... Once you, this is why people die of drug overdoses. You take something, and you got a little high. Then you take it again, and you got a little high. And you take it again, and you got a little high. And then you know what happens? You take it again, and you didn't get the same high. Now what do I have to do? I take a little more. And then I take a little more the next time, and I didn't get high again. So now what do I have to do? I have to take a little more. I have to take a little more. I have to take a little more. And eventually I take enough that it doesn't come back from that. What do you think sin does? We're warring against God. We're pleasing our flesh. Well, one Oreo cookie was good. Two will be better. Three will be even better. Four, a sleeve. Then now you're chasing down Girl Scout cookies and threatening them at the end of a knife. Yeah, give me the cookies. Thin mints. Ah! Next thing you know, you're fighting yourself at two o'clock in the morning, trying not to turn into a cookie monster. I, mean, I laugh, but why does this happen? because you convinced yourself that if one was good, two is better, three is better. Next thing, This is what life does in everything. Everything. People with gambling addictions have the same thing. I won. I just had to win one time. And what am I going to do the rest of my life? Chase that one win. And then the bet gets, and then I won again, but I won the same amount. That's not fun. I want to win. But in order to win more, I have to have to bet more i have to take riskier bets or i'm more likely to lose and that it's chasing the things that can never satisfy this is what sin does in the world if you live like this you will find something that will become your god christian please don't recognize who god is what he has done, and how that has transformed your life. It matters for how you live to be reminded regularly who God is, and that is why Paul does that beginning in verse 9. In him, this is talking about Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. This is the why of everything that has come before. You live the way that you live in Christ, not because you want to be better, but because Christ has changed you. Why can Christ change you? Because of who he is. He's already stated this, by the way, in Colossians 1. Jesus is the invisible, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him... Jesus, all things were created, both in heavens and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, all things hold together. Everybody knows this Bible verse. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Paul says, that's right. In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. Can't mistake the argument he's making. In the beginning, God is Christ. He is the fullness of deity in bodily form. And by the way, this is not the only place Paul will make this argument. Hebrews 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. He, talking about Jesus, is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paul will also make the same argument for the Philippians in chapter 2, explaining how Christ's emptying of himself is an actual function of who he is as God. Now, because of that, we can keep moving. So verse 9 moves to verse 10. And in him, you have been made complete. See, the work of Christ actually does something for and in you. You have been made complete. Again, as he told the Colossians earlier, he rescued us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. Christ has actually covered your debt before God. He has then given you the Holy Spirit, who is building you and bringing you to a day of completion. In other words, because he is God, who has the power to change hearts and minds, Christian? God. Because Christ is God, he can change your heart and mind, and he can empower you to move forward. So he has made you complete and he is the head over all rule and authority this is one of those duh verses if i bring you a person and i tell you this person is god in flesh he is the redeemer of your sins he is the sanctifier of your souls he is the one who will bring you to a good end rescuing you from darkness bringing you to the throne of god and he's gonna go that way what would you like to do now I want to go that way (laughs) because that's the dude I want to, what, you got a better offer? Like when Monty Hall brings you that, here's, here's, you can have Jesus or you can have what's in the box. (laughs) It's Jesus or what's in the box. I'm now reminded of bad 80s movies. If you ever want a good laugh, there's actually a, a spoof on this. Weird Al Yankovic, not even kidding made a movie about a TV station. That was one of their, video, one of their game shows. It was you could they had the wheel of fish, and you want a fish, and so they're like, "You can have this wonderful mackerel, or you can have what's in the box." And the woman chose what's in the box, and they opened it up and goes, "What's in the box?" Nothing! Absolutely nothing. You idiot! <laughs> That's the game show. Um, you know that's not far off from the world. The world is looking at you, saying, look, "Look, look, we know that you have Jesus, but there's a box, and it's shiny and it's pretty, and you can have what's in the box." No, 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 no! Don't, don't follow Jesus. Look, take what's in the box. At the end of the day, what's in the box? Nothing. There's just, there's no there there. This is why I tell you how many challenges to God are there? There's just one. Did God really say that's the way to take it? twist it just a little bit, get you to doubt you, get you to question you. This is why I forever ask you, who are you? And if that answer in Christ is something other than redeemed of God, child of the kingdom, sanctified by his spirit, if that answer is something other than that, you've believed the lie. Because that's all the lie is. Did God really save you? Is he really sanctifying you? Will you really be secure in his kingdom? And you start looking at your, son, your life and your sin and going, I don't know, I, I am pretty bad. And I get this. And you're, and you're, now, well, what are you focusing on? For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Add however many looks at Christ you need to have to be reminded of who he is and what he has done for you as his people. So that you will look at this world and go, yes, he really said. Yes, he really redeemed. And be quiet. I don't want what's in the box. I want Jesus. He is the better thing. Dumbest thing you'll say all day. You ready? Jesus is better than what the world has to offer. There you go. There's, there, there's another t-shirt for you. That's, that's, one of these days we're going to found our own t-shirt company. We're going to call it Dumb Sayings. <laughs> so. That is why he is the head over all rule and authority. So let's keep moving. And in him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, the removal of the, I'm sorry, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Don't get this twisted. The point of circumcision was always to mark out who was God's people. Didn't make you special. Didn't make you more holy or more sanctified than anybody else. This is why you get the warnings in things like Deuteronomy 10. Moses, before the people are going into the land, before Moses dies, he warns them, circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. This isn't about your flesh. This is about your heart, who you are at your core. That's why this matters. And by the way, where is that change of heart, change of mind, and change of life then accomplished? In Christ. This matters. He has marked you out as his. How now did he do this? Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. This is the testimony. This part of the command, right? Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations doing what? baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you. Why? Because he is with you always, even to the end of his age. This is always what baptism was supposed to be. This is, again, why I tell you don't remember your baptism, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It's a proclamation. It's a proclamation and a declaration of faith. It didn't do anything special. It didn't, it's not an extra bath. We don't have special water. It comes out of the well just like the stuff in the water fountain. It's the same thing. If we heat it up, it smells weird. Sorry, this is what it is. We have a sulfur spring in the back. <laughs> it's, a, it's an appeal. It's a call to God. Peter tells you this. 1 Peter 3. Talking about Noah's Ark. He says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. How now? Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who was at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. In other words, your baptism is a declaration to the world that you have appealed to Christ because who else can save you? No one. Because there's no other power to change hearts and minds other than the work that God has accomplished. And that's what Paul talks about when he goes back to the Romans. We have been buried with him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's a reminder. That's why the formula is what it is get all the fancy robes on, fill up the water to a good level, buried with him in death, raised to walk in the newness of life. It's a reminder of what Christ has done and what the Spirit is going to spend the rest of your life doing. Christian, this is your call every day. When can you be faithful? Now. You can't be faithful yesterday. You don't have a DeLorean. Or plutonium from the Lebanese. Wasn't it the Lebanese in that movie? Or was it the Iranians? I can never remember. Now I'm going to have to go watch back to the future. I think it was, I think it was from Lebanon. There you, go. you don't have plutonium in a flux capacity. You can't go back to yesterday. You can be faithful now. This is why Jesus tells you not to worry about tomorrow. You can't be faithful tomorrow. You know when you can be faithful? Now. How? By understanding it is Christ who has changed me. It is the Holy Spirit who is empowering me and evaluating everything now in light of that. So, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. That's been the promise from the very beginning. If you want to have some fun, since you've got nothing else to do since I'm leaving next Sunday, right? (laughs) Um, Isaiah 53, Psalm 2. Have some fun reading those and be reminded that... This work of Christ in the New Testament is not just something he came up with out of thin air, but it has been the promised work from the very beginning. That's why there was a Passover lamb. That's why there was a sacrifice day by day. That's why there was a smoke rising up from the tabernacle as an offering unto God, to be reminded that the prayers of the priests were forever being carried before God, and that he saw his people, and that he knew his people, and that he heard them. That's why Christ is seated where? At the right hand of the Father. All of those promises have been delivered in Christ. Romans 5. While we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though for perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that has been the work that was done, the work that is done, and the work that is being done. This is where the place keeps spinning. This is why Jesus hasn't come back yet. Kingdom's not full yet. You know when it'll be over? When the kingdom's full. When the Holy Spirit gets to turn to the kingdom to no vacancy, that's the end. And now you will have that image in the book of Revelation until the end of time, looking at those massive city walls as they come down, and the little no vacancy sign flashing in neon. Yeah, <laughs> He hasn't completed his work yet. If he was, we'd be over, but it's not. So verse 14, he has forgiven us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. By the way, let's just make sure we cover this because this is one of those theology things that we get wrong on occasion. I say we just because I don't know who to pick on. Who are you in debt to? having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. Who were you indebted to? God, always remember that. This is, you'll, you'll get these ministries that tell you, you, you know, the the devil, oh, you owe devil something. No, you know, you know, Satan doesn't belong to you. You don't belong to him. He belongs to God. Always remember that Satan may be a roaring lion, but he's on a leash and God holds the other end of that leash. He only bites you if he's been given permission. It's one of my favorite Bible verses, by the way, when, you know, when Peter says he'll never, even if everyone else falls away, he'll stand firm with Jesus. And Jesus' response, um, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. That's not good. And what's not recorded is probably the one, the look on Peter's face, because your first thought would be what if Jesus said that to you? What'd you say? And Jesus says, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. Oh, that's not good. Because you know what that means? That means the answer was yes. That means when Satan said, hey, hey, can I, can I mess with that one? God's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, you're supposed to say no to that. Which is why we don't buy into the prosperity mumbo jumbo and, and try to tell you life will be a bed of roses as long as you follow Jesus. Because it's not. Because every once in a while Satan asks permission. And every once in a while the answer is, yeah, sure, let's see what happens. Because we know what's going to happen if you're in Christ. You will not be forgotten. You will not be forsaken. So you'll be strengthened, but it may not always be pleasant. So you were in debt to God, decrees consisting against us, which was hostile to us. Because who was hostile to you in your sin? A holy and righteous and just God. The wrath of God abides upon sin. But... Christ has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sent on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Or as Paul tells the uh, the Galatians, As many as are the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to perform. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, I just love how Paul's like, you know, just we know that nobody can keep the law. That's obvious. Just look at the world. For the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. In other words... Christian, you're not pleasing, you're not attempting to please God by your work. God is pleased by Christ's work. You are secure in the kingdom of God because Christ has secured you there and he has transformed your heart, renewed your mind, and changed the direction of your life so that you would walk in the light. And again, he's now said, look, here's the guy who does all that thing. He's going that way. Which way would you like to go? What's the rule? What don't you want to take? you don't want what's in the box. Doesn't matter how pretty the fro- uh, how pretty the wrapping paper is, doesn't matter how amazing the bow on top is, doesn't matter how many people before you took the box and said they loved it. You know, what's in the box? Nothing. Absolutely positively nothing. Verse 15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. I don't know about you, but when Two sides go to war, and at the end of the war one side has all the weapons, and the other side is being paraded around to show you how defeated they are. I think that war is pretty much over. What do you think? That's the language of what's going on here. This is part of the um, ancient culture. We don't do this anymore. Uh, Part of me wonders if we probably should. I'm only half kidding. I mean, I'm serious. Like, instead of, like, when we go after terrorists somewhere, instead of just shooting them in the middle of the night, you know, the ancient world would have taken them, brought them home, and then made them parade through every big city in the country. That's a we have a big country. That might take a while. But imagine what that does for a country. Look, there's the enemy. There's the guy you warned your children about. There's the one we told stories about who gave you nightmares. Look at him. Look at him. You afraid of him? You worried about him? He's in chains. He's beaten. There's his army, or better yet, there's what's left of his army. They're in chains. There's all their weapons. They don't have any of them anymore. You look at that guy. What does he mean to you now? He's nothing. He has no power. He has no authority. This is why I remind you that Satan may be a roaring lion, but where is he? He's on a leash. He's on a leash. What power does he have? Unless... Unless God's coming off since like, there's like little gremlins attacking. <laughs> Speaking of a leash, no. <laughs> we bought our kids a leash when they were little. They, they used to fight over who got to wear. We had those little backpacks with a lead on it. Like, it's my turn to wear it to Walmart. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, they thought, I'm like, it kept them in line and I could hook them to the cart. And they thought it was fun. So I'm like, I'm not telling them different. <laughs> Took a couple of years and they're like, wait a minute. Like, oh, they figured it out. <laughs> Good. Sorry, the way that echoed, I thought I missed the button. Satan doesn't have power. God has power. Sin doesn't have power. God has power. It's defeated. God has paraded them around. Jesus has stood victoriously and said, I win. They have nothing. 1 Peter 3. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit, in which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. That's part of this. It's a declaration of victory. You have no power. Christ has accomplished. 1 Peter 1. If you address as the Father, if you address his Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. That's what has been accomplished. And it has accomplished. Never forget, what's the last what are the last words from the cross? It is finished. Finished. Done. Accomplished. Whatever translate however it is translated. Finito. Pick your language. It is. Uh-uh. It is over. Done. Because Christ's power reigns. Because his kingdom will conquer. First John 5. We know that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is part of that reminder, Christian. Why do you live differently? Because you are different. Because of who Christ is, what He has done. He has changed you and transformed you and empowered you to live. Now, follow after Him. Walk in the light and recognize that it is Him to whom we praise. It is him to whom we give thanks, because it is him who gives us wisdom and strength to overcome this world. And the second, the very second you find yourself resting or trusting or hoping in anything else, fire, right? Kill it, kill it immediately, because it is not the better thing. It's the thing in the box, and it can't help. Walk after Christ because of who he is and how he is transformed. Let's pray.